Frank Stewart's going to be uh, speaking, but also Brother Herman Kramer is coming in, so he'll be here early. He'll be able to just give us a word of encouragement too. And then Sunday morning, a great Sunday school lesson all over uh, about building for eternity. And then Brother Herman will be preaching a message Sunday morning. And then Sunday night, we get all our questions answered. Uh, anything you ever wanted to know about building for eternity. Uh, the problem is, is we're asking you to do the same thing the Democrats ask us to do. Just pass the thing and we'll read about it later on. Uh, no, I'm joking with you. Boy, y'all are uptight tonight. I tell you, y'all just need to loosen up, chill out. Uh, but anyway, we, we'll answer questions. You'll get to see some, uh, some things uh, uh, Sunday night, and, and we'll be open about that in that town hall meeting. And, and we're trusting God's going to do great things. Mark chapter 12, beginning in verse 13, the Bible says, They send unto him, and they is the Sanhedrin now, and they send unto him certain of the Pharisees and of the Herodians to catch him, or to trap him, to snare him in his words. And when they were come, they say unto him, Master, we know that thou art true, and carest what no man really says, for thou regardest not the person of men, but teachest the way of God in truth. Is it lawful to give tribute to Caesar or not? Shall we give or shall we not give? But he, knowing their hypocrisy, said unto them, Why tempt ye me? Bring me a penny that I may see it. And they brought it. And he saith unto them, Whose is this image and superscription? And they said, It's Caesar's. Jesus answering said unto them, Render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's, and to God the things that are God's. And they marveled at him. Now, you know, every one of us in this room tonight, especially those of you who are here on a Wednesday night in church somewhere, you understand that we're in a mess. We're in a mess economically, we're in a mess politically, we're in a mess culturally, we're in a mess spiritually, and literally the spiritual leads the way for all of the others. If we could get the spiritual mess straightened out, I promise you, the cultural thing would straighten itself out. And uh, these other things, seek ye first the kingdom of God, his righteousness, and all these things be added unto you. So... We used to say, however the church goes, so goes uh, the culture and the politics and the finances. So, and the, the, to be honest with you, pastors, we, we just need to take responsibility. One of the reasons we're in the mess we're in is because we've gotten afraid to preach the Word of God. We, we'd rather tickle each other and make sure that we all can join hands and sing Kumbaya and everybody be in a good spirit rather than get up and say, Thus saith the Lord. And so, in our day, we call a lot of things a crisis. I mean, I'll be honest with you, I've, I've seen women come in here before, and they would just be beside their, I thought, what in the world? I thought their mama had died, or their daddy had died, they had broken a fingernail. And they had, that's a major crisis. I mean, when you spend $35 to get your nails done, and you done knock one of them off, that's a major crisis. So we talk about all kinds of things. Some people talk about it's a crisis for a loss of friendship or, 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 or don't have the money to, to buy the latest gadget or gizmo or, or simply not getting their way. It's crisis. But I want to tell you the greatest crisis that we face in this world today is found in our relationship or our lack of relationship to Jehovah God. That's the greatest crisis we've got in this entire world. 
Things are heating up here in Mark chapter 12. Uh, and uh, Jesus has offended the religious powers and, and they're out to get him. Mark 11 verse 18 says this, And the scribes and chief priests heard it and sought how they might destroy him, for they feared him because all the people were astonished at his doctrine. So they want him dead. They want the effort that he's got to be over with. They want to lay a trap for him here. And they want Jesus to make some kind of verbal misstep, uh, misstep, uh, mistake or a misstep. Either one of them doesn't make any difference. So that they can use for their advantage. Does this not sound like a news conference today? I mean, just throw some loaded questions so somebody can say something that's wrong and suddenly, bang, you know, we, we pounce on them. Now, this text that we are reading tonight is the first in a series of attacks that the enemies of the Lord uh, uh, have launched. And their goal in all of these attacks is to discredit Jesus. And that's still what the goal of the devil is today. They're out to get Jesus, and they really don't care uh, how they get him. We're in the last week of our Lord's earthly life. It's probably Tuesday. He's already been challenged by the Sanhedrin, the chief priests and scribes and elders. And he turned their challenge back. He told a parable, painting pictures of the future, which awaits those who miss the mark of the Father. And so we, we, we want to see crisis sometimes in the horizontal realm met. And that's important. It's important. But I want to tell you, the greatest crisis we have is not in the horizontal realm. It's in the vertical realm. It's between us and God. Um, if you read the horizontal slant of this scripture, you're going to think it's all about money. But Jesus turns the table on them, and he makes it about spiritual things. <laughs> Far deeper than what they're, they're wanting to do. Now, don't think I'm, I'm ducking the answer. I, I, I think that uh, Christians ought to be good citizens. I think we ought to pay our taxes. I, I, I pay my taxes every year. Uh, I, I, I'll be honest with you, I try to look for every loophole I can find. I, I, I want them to have what's theirs, but I don't want to give them a dime that's not theirs because uh, I can throw it away as good as they can. Uh, and I've learned from the best. But, I, you know, I, we ought to pay our taxes, and we ought to vote, and we ought to abide by the laws that do not violate the laws of God. When the laws of God come into effect, we follow the laws of God. Romans tells us that. Peter's, uh, Peter, first and second, tells us that there. Uh, but, but, but all of this is not the main or the rich message from this text. Uh, Jesus came to offer you and me a way to God. There's no way we could get there. But that's what he came for, so that we could have a way to God. And he never allowed anyone, nowhere, listen to me, I don't care where you look in this book, you will never find Jesus letting anybody distract him from the task that he knew God sent him to do. Boy, how easy we can get sidetracked. But you will never find Jesus being sidetracked. They would constantly try to sidetrack him, constantly try to ensnare him, and yet he always turned the tables on them there. The religious people back then and even today, they still do everything they can to derail the message of eternal life, of salvation, of hope, of help. Uh, and we've got to keep our focus on the truth that the greatest crisis man has today is 
we're lost and we're on our way to a place called hell. And unless we come by way of the cross, repent of our sins, and invite Christ to take over our life, we're not going to make it to heaven. That's the only way. But not only heaven. Hey, let's forget about heaven a minute. People say, Preacher, all you worried about the pie in the sky. No, I like pie, uh, but it's not just the pie in the sky. Let me tell you what the salvation can do. It can deliver you from the present problem you're in right now. You can be in bondage right now, but when Jesus, what a wonderful change in my life has been wrought since Jesus came into my heart. So we've got to keep our focus on the truth. Now let me just give you four things here tonight, and we're through. Number one, we'll go home, watch the Rangers. They'll be ahead when we get out of here, and they'll be lost by the time, amen, that we say the closing prayer and go to bed tonight. Uh, Lord, help them tonight, please. Just one night, just one night, Lord. Let me give you four things. Number one, there's an unholy alliance here. This is a remarkable. Verse 13, they sent him, some of the Pharisees, some of the Herodians. What a mouthful. Uh, they're being played by the Sanhedrin there who have already found themselves on the losing end of the stick. And so now they reach out to the Herodians and to the uh, uh, Pharisees here and they say, look, uh, uh, you, you need to, to challenge Jesus. Now this always, let me tell you, this always going to happen when you challenge Jesus. You think you're going to challenge the Lord? Let me tell you, you're going to end up looking like a nut. He, he, he got up way before you. He, in the beginning, he was. He's the Alpha and Omega. You're not, not going to challenge him and get away with it. You're always going to look like that. Now, they went to their friends, the Pharisees, and, and the Pharisees were the friends of the Sanhedrin, but the Herodians were the enemies of the Sanhedrin. So they went to their friends, the Pharisees, and then they went to their enemies, the Herodians, and said, look, uh, we've we, we got to stop Jesus at all costs. It doesn't make any difference. What it costs is we've got to do that. We've already had our shot and struck out. So maybe y'all can slip in the back door and upset Jesus and get him all riled up. And because and, uh, that's how the devil, he can do that pretty good to me. It don't take a, a real rocket scientist to push my buttons and have me off into orbit in a carnal state. Pretty easy. But we're talking about Jesus here. We're talking about Jesus. Uh, <laughs> they wanted to stop him. The, the prevailing philosophy I see here is the enemy of my enemy is my friend. <laughs> That's what happens. I mean, they, they can't stand each other. The Herodians were a political party. They were among the Jews who were supporters of Herod. They enjoyed all the benefits of the Roman occupation, and uh, the Romans controlled their country. But the people enjoyed religious freedom and protection, prosperity. Herod supported the Romans, and he sought to bring Roman culture to Israel. And I want to tell you, the Pharisees hated the Herodians. And the Herodians hated the Pharisees. Two forces that have the power today in this world to unite people are good and evil. Those are the two forces still available today. They will unite people. I've seen these same kind of conspiracies in church life. People unite in their frustration, their aggravation. I've seen it twice in churches this very week. This very week. They come together for the common goal of getting rid of a pastor that they don't like or trying to undermine people they don't agree with. And I want to tell you, folks, you can, you can count on it any way you want to. I don't care what you say. When you find people who are doing that, it is not of God. It is not of God. 
the church and people ought to be united together by the bond of love. We ought to be controlled by the bond of love. We ought to seek good and not evil. And love ought to be our calling card as we travel through this world. Mark 12 says this in verse 28. One of the scribes came, having heard them reasoning together, perceiving that he had answered them well, asked this, which is the first commandment of all? Jesus said, the first of the commandments is, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, with all thy mind, with all thy strength. And this is the first commandment. And the second one is like it, namely this, Thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. None other commandment greater than these two. When you nail those two commandments down, all of the rest of them will fall into place. All the rest of them. John 13, 35, By this shall all men know you're my disciples, if you have love one for another. When's the last time you just stopped and read 1 Corinthians chapter 13? Wow, what a set of scriptures. Though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels and have not love, I'm become as sounding brass or a tinkling cymbal. Though I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and though I have all faith so that I could remove mountains and have not love, I am nothing. Though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, and though I give my body to be burned and have not love, it profiteth me nothing. Love suffers long. Love is kind. Love envies not. It vaunteth not itself. It's not puffed up. It doth not behave itself unseemly. Love seeketh not her own, is not easily provoked, thinketh no evil, rejoices not in iniquity, but rejoices in the truth. Beareth all things, believeth all things, hopeth all things, endureth all things. Love never faileth, but whether there be prophecies, they'll fail. Whether there be tongues, they'll cease. Whether there be knowledge, it shall vanish away. Mm. The Pharisees were the keeper of the law of Moses. The Herodians were the keeper of the law of Herod. And uh, one was deeply religion, religious, and the other was deeply political. Both of them had an interest in silencing Jesus. Boy, how often has this happened when people who are known to be enemies in the church <laughs> come together so that they can try to pull something off? Mm. You know, this whole thing points to we better be careful who we run with. We used to hear the old saying, birds of a feather flock together. We need to be careful who we run with. Because even though you say, when I'm not like them, I never will forget years ago when I first came here to Woodland Hills, <clears throat> sweet person in this church came and said, Brother Charles, I don't know why people call me and want to dump on me and want to gripe about the church on me and want to gripe about everything on me. I said, well, we just pray and go on. And then it kept on. And finally, one day, I just sat down and I said, you want to know the truth? You want to know why people call you and gripe to you about the church? Because you listen to them and agree with them. If they call you and they gripe and you say, hey, let's go down and talk to the preacher about this, they won't call you anymore. They won't do that. They don't do that. But if you sit there and listen, you say, well, I don't want to hurt their feelings. I don't worry about hurting their feelings. 
Folks who are spreading venom like that are not from God. And you don't need to be associated with them. In fact, I wish I had time today. I, I'll be honest with you. You can go through the scripture and prove you don't even need to sit down at the table and eat with them. Completely disfellowship them. Well, let me go to point two. We're not going to get through here. There's an ungodly approach here. They, uh, they stated their motivation at the very first of the conversation. They were here to trap Jesus and uh, catch or trap, ensnare uh, uh, you ever had anybody come to you like that when you knew they were coming to you but the you know they were talking to you but 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 you really knew they were there to try to trap you or try to get you to say something so that they could use it against you yeah it, it starts out not like this brother Charles you know you're the greatest preacher in the world but remember wherever you say that word but you leave out everything up to there well, that's exactly what's happened. I mean, you can look at my soul. They go, oh, you're the great teacher. We know you don't care what man says. Why, you just speak what God says. But <laughs> the truth is most of us can tell when somebody's trying to fool us by sweet talk. Dale Carnegie said this, flattery is telling the other person precisely what he thinks about himself. <laughs> and then it was, Adlai Stevenson that said, flattery is all right so long as you don't inhale. <laughs> well, they're doing the same thing in verse 14. This group here, exact same thing to Jesus. We know you teach truth. We know nobody can sway you. We know you teach the way of God. You see in these people, I mean, literally, you'd be saying, well, man, y'all are the poster boys here. You're, you're just doing great. But they don't actually believe what they're saying because they come back should we pay taxes to Caesar it's, it's, it, it's or not is a question which is it's going to make one of the other two groups mad so we're talking about the Herodians here and the Pharisees now if Jesus says yes we ought to pay taxes to Caesar it's going to hack the Pharisees off because they're the religionists if Jesus said, no, don't pay any taxes to Caesar, we ought to pay taxes and homage to God, it's going to hack the Herodians off. So, I mean, they, they, we got him. We got him. I mean, he's there. Now, that's always the nature of carnal and lost people trying to disprove Jesus. Um, and and uh, literally, uh, we just read it a while ago, but could I read it again, just a portion of it, 1 Corinthians 13? Thinketh no evil literally means take no worthless inventory. That's what he's saying here. Don't think about evil. Real love doesn't remember injury. See, some of us got problems because we got hurt 20 or 30 years ago and we're still holding on to that. We, we, we need to get beyond that. Love believes, doesn't believe all it hears about the other, one another. We had our Christian school and I would always, at the very first meeting, we always had every year at the beginning of the year, I would tell parents, I'd be talking with them, I'd say, listen, I'll make you all a deal. If you don't believe everything your kid says about us, we won't believe everything your kid says about you. <laughs> huh? <laughs> That's kind of the deal. And, and then love doesn't look for fault in others. 
Did you know that if, if we practiced those three things, if we didn't remember our injuries, if we believed uh, just what we know to be true and not what we hear, and if we didn't look for fault in others, do you know 99% of our problems in every church would be solved? And not only churches, it'd be solved in families. I know y'all's wives are more spiritual than mine. But I mean, I, have you ever been trying to do something good and your wife said, I know what you got up your sleeve? Well, no, you don't know what I got up my sleeve. I'm trying to be good, I'm trying to be nice. <laughs> See, that's how the devil will work with your mind. Uh, these guys were lost, Pharisees and Herodians, operating in the power of the flesh, had religion, but didn't have salvation. Then you've got to look at the answer that Jesus gives them there in verse 15. <clears throat> shall we give or, or shall we not give? I love this verse right here. But he, knowing, <laughs> he, knowing, knowing. These men thought they were going to pull a fast one over on Jesus. But I want to tell you something, Jesus knows. He knows. He knows all about us. He can see right through them. And, and he can see the very condition of their heart. He knew they were nothing more than hypocrites. And he says that. He sees our heart just as well. He knows everything about us. He knows if we're saved. Or he knows if we're just playing church. He knows if we're just playing a part so others are going to think well of us. Hebrews 4.13 says, Neither is there any creature that is not manifest in his sight, but all things are naked and opened under the eyes of him with whom we have to do. The question is, what does he see when he looks into our heart? Does he see saving faith of a new creature? Or does he see dead religion and nothing more? Acts 17.31, Because he hath appointed a day in the which he'll judge the world in righteousness by that man whom he hath ordained, whereof he hath given assurance unto all men, in that he hath raised him from the dead. Romans 2.16, In the day when God shall judge the secrets of men by Jesus Christ according to my gospel. He knew they were out to get him. I love that part. He knowing. It doesn't only go for the Pharisees. Listen to me. It doesn't just go for the Herodians. It doesn't just go for the Sanhedrin. It goes for every one of us in this building tonight. He knows. He knows. Now they focused on money, and so Jesus focused on money. He said, bring me a denarius. Bring me a penny. Let me look at it. Denarius was equal to a day's pay for a common laborer, and it was issued by the Roman government. So because it was issued by the Roman government, naturally Caesar's picture was on the, uh, on the coin. And I imagine the Pharisees thought, boy, I, I, we've got him now. Until he said, whose picture's on here? Who's on the inscription? Hmm. Then maybe the Herodians thought, we're going to be the ones bring him down. But I want to tell you, you, you and I have no idea what goes through the mind of our Lord. His ways are not our ways. His thoughts are not our thoughts. Ah, uh, in these words, uh, I better go on to the fourth point. I'm going to get in trouble. There's an unchangeable affirmation here. I love this. This is our message for today. Put from the mouth of our Savior. It's not render unto Caesar the things are Caesar's. But here's the message for us tonight. 
give God the things that are His. That's our message. Yeah, we ought to pay our taxes. Yeah, we ought to be good citizens. Yes, we should vote. We need to pray for our leaders and, and because we've got a voice and we need to, to vote for people with godly principles and godly leaders that want to lead us in a godly direction. And, and uh, we don't have a Caesar today. We have a government that allows us to take part in. Now, the Russians may have conned all of it up. We may all be idiots. I have no idea. But we at least get to go vote and take part in it. Give God the things that are His. Those seven words, I believe, are probably the seven greatest words of crisis for men today. Give God the things which are His. Most of us read this and we see it only in terms of money. And certainly, I think Jesus is speaking about us returning unto Him as tithes and giving our offerings and uh, you, you know, you're, you're never going to know the blessings of God until you give back what God has asked you to give back. You're not going to know those blessings. People all the time say, we, we just can't afford to tithe. I said, no, you, you got that backwards. You can't afford not to tithe. I mean, you know, you, you just can't afford it. Now, the reason God calls us to give is that when we become His, we're to be like Him. And who in the world could be more like Jesus than when they're giving. He spent his own life. Remember he said, I didn't come for you guys to minister to me. I came to minister to you. I didn't come so somebody could help me. I came to help you. So we're most like God when we're giving. Jesus, I think, is saying, you give Caesar his money because that bears his image, but your devotion belongs to God because you bear his image. You're in His image. Every person in this room belongs to God by nature of creation. God created you. Now, I know there's some wingdings that believe you came out of a monkey and swung from a tree and all that stuff. And, you know, but I'm going to tell you, the truth is, God created you. you, were, you were, God knew you before you were even born, before you were in your mother's womb. And so the greatest need that we have tonight is to render to God the things that are God. Amen? I read this story. <laughs> Phil Johnson wrote the words back in 1975 to, to that song I sang. I told Buddy and, and Brother Roger, I said, y'all go on down. Don't, don't try to play with me because I have no idea how this song's going to go. I don't know it that well. But I love the words. Give them all. Give it all to Jesus. He'll turn your sorrows into gain. There was a little church having a homecoming service. And uh, all the ex-members who had moved away, they invited all of them back. You know how them homecomings are. Uh, they, they really like more music than anything else. They don't like a lot of preaching. They usually bring in a gospel group. And there's big dinner on the ground chicken and dumplings and fried chicken, all this stuff. And they were all there. And, and one of the former members from that church had become a millionaire. And, of course, when a millionaire walks into church, you know what they do. You know, hey, brother, give a testimony today. And so he, he got up to give his testimony. And uh, he talked about how he had earned his first silver dollar while he was a member of that church as a little child. And he said he was going to keep that silver dollar. Because it meant a lot to him. And he said one Wednesday night in a church service, 
He said, we had a missionary there. And he said, that missionary just, man, he spoke about the things of God. And he said, there was a battle going on in front of me. He said, man, I, 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 God was saying, you ought to give that dollar. And, and I was saying, no, God, that's, that's, that's a special silver dollar that's all mine. And he said, but finally the offering plate came by. And he said, I put my treasured silver dollar in that basket. And he said, I'm, the, I'm convinced that the reason that God has blessed me richly is that when I was a boy, I gave everything I had to the Lord. And a dear little old saint of God got up in the back and he said, brother, I dare you to do it again. Wow. How many of us at one time in our life, we knew what it was like to really sacrifice for God. And I we're talking about building for eternity, but you, you know and I know, we're, we're not going to sacrifice anything great for God. We're going to give Him out of our abundance. But some of you in this place can remember giving God stuff you didn't have. And you can remember God blessing you. And I would just say, hey, I dare you to do it again. See, I have this crazy idea <laughs> that the same God who blessed you 50 years ago can bless you again today. Now, you know, this, this thing closes out. I love this. <laughs> when they heard the Lord's answer, the Bible says they marveled at him. <laughs> now, when's the last time you stopped and marveled at Jesus? says, wow, Jesus, the King of kings and Lord of lords, <laughs> wants to deal with me? Lord, you would let me have a part in what you're wanting to do? <laughs> they came to trap him, but he turned the tables and trapped them. And they couldn't argue with what he was saying, and so they simply walked off. I don't want you just to walk out today. I want each one of us to examine our hearts and see where we stand with the Lord. Maybe there's somebody here tonight that when you examine your heart, you realize you never have been saved. You've just been playing church. But tonight, you want to be saved. Trust Him for your salvation. Maybe you've yielded the totality of your life to the control and dominion of the Lord. But some things in life have caused you to grow cold and You've backslidden. You know, folks, they don't just wake up one morning and decide, well, I'm not going to serve the Lord anymore. It happens little by little by little. And so that's what we've got to guard to make sure we don't let it come in. Father, thank you tonight for allowing us to gather and worship. Thank you for the testimony we heard tonight. Thank you for our children, our young people. Thank you, Lord, for our choir. Thank you for our staff that's working with all of these groups. And, Lord, thank you for these people sitting right here today. Because if it were not for their generosity and their giving, for their hard work, Lord, tonight more than 50 adults are working in different places in this church. And if it wasn't for that, there's no way in the world we could be doing what we're doing to minister to people. We give you the glory. It all belongs to you. We thank you. And I know there are people sitting right here in this place tonight that would give anything if they just had the strength to get out there again and run with those kids.
Lord, many of our days are over with, but we can still pray. We can still encourage. We can still stand in the gap. Do everything we can to keep the devil out of this place. That Jesus be honored and glorified. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you all so much. Don't forget, Saturday, sign up in the prayer vigil. And the prayer list uh, you have is on the round table as you go out.